Hi everyone and welcome to Spark Leadership. I am Windy Tepiso Maledu, a senior behavioral scientist at CoachUp and the host of this show. I'm so happy you are joining me today because I have the pleasure of speaking to Ben Ranshaw. He's the co-author of the book Love Work. Ben has a lot of inspiring ideas about how to find the purpose in your work and how effective leaders must embrace humanity. So we'll also delve deep into how organizations can reverse the recent trend of the great resignation towards recovery. All of this coming right up, but first let me say a few words about Ben. Ben Ranshaw is one of today's foremost leadership thinkers, a speaker, coach and author. Ben's innovative work in leading organizations, senior executives and entrepreneurs has brought him international acclaim. Formerly a classical violinist, Ben now plays a different tune getting the best out of people. He's an author of 10 popular books, including Being Purpose, Lead and Super Coaching. Ben writes about how to lead and be successful in today's volatile world. As an executive coach and leadership consultant, Ben has worked with clients like Barclays, Henley Business School, Imperial Business School, just to name but a few. A warm welcome to the show, Ben. Wendy, thank you so much. And look, if I'd known your interest in the violin, I would have played you a tune. <laughs> oh, I would have loved that. I'm a creative at heart. <laughs> So, Ben, one of the standing features of this show is that we share one interesting fact about our guest at the beginning. And at the end of the show, we do predictions based on the topic that we are discussing. I know you've already mentioned the violin, but maybe you could share another story or any interesting fact about you. Well, look, I think why don't we build upon the, the theme of the violin? So I grew up at a specialist music school called the Yehudi Menuhin School. And in fact, my father ran the school. So although I grew up as a violinist, it was not my purpose. It was not my passion. One kind of fun fact was I took a gap year uh, when I left school. I went to Israel and I went and lived on a, on a kibbutz, which is a community down in the Negev desert. And I remember there was one particular moment where I arrived early January. I'd left a very cold, wet, gray London. And I arrived in beautiful, sunny uh, Mediterranean Tel Aviv. And I had a few hours before catching my bus down to the desert. And all I had was a backpack and my violin. And I went and sat down on the, on the beach overlooking the Mediterranean. And I had this extraordinary experience of freedom and, and the recognition that look, there's more to life than playing the violin. And as I thought about all my uh, old school friends that were stuck in their little practice rooms six, eight hours a day, I was about to embark on a, on a whole new adventure, which was pivotal for my future. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that story with us, Ben. I think it resonates a lot with what we're going to be talking about, finding that sense of purpose and meaning in the work that we do. So maybe let me start by saying congratulations to you and Sophie on the launch of the book. Yay! It is a beautiful, enjoyable book to read. So tell me, what led you to write this beautiful book called Love Work? Well, thank you, Wendy. Uh, look, it's been a long journey. When I moved out of music, I fell into the world of personal development over 30 years ago. And I, I started all my early days in America and built up a very eclectic approach. And I've written, as you, as you noted, topics around you know, leadership and coaching and relationships and happiness, etc. 
And I've been immersed in the exploration of purpose for the last 15 years. So a quick example, I, I ran a, a three-day leadership program called Leading with Purpose for one of the largest hospitality companies in the world, IHG Intercontinental Hotels Group, and uh, had over a thousand leaders attend that. And there was one consistent theme that emerged for people out of that that seemed to have the biggest impact, which was all about the idea that at the end of the day, we're human beings, we're not human doings. And on the back of that, I then wrote a book called Being. Coming out of that, what I notice a lot is that, you know, we spend approximately, on average, 90,000 hours of our lives working. And I see so much, uh, literally, I, I could almost use the word misery, but certainly frustration in terms of work and, and people's relationship with work. I just felt there was a real human tragedy that we invest so much time and effort and energy in work. And yet there was a gap in terms of having a deep sense of meaning and connectivity and sense of contribution about what you do. And so I feel very, very strongly about the opportunity and the need to really help people develop a better relationship with work. So that was really the original intent behind Love Work. It then obviously coincided with COVID. And many of my clients were right at the front end of this hospitality, aviation, transportation, retail. I mean, clients being devastated by the impact of this. And therefore, the need for, you know, development and coaching absolutely, of course, fell away because everybody was in crisis management. So it's actually a really fortuitous timing then for me to immerse myself in my own reflective practice and think about work. I got introduced to Sophie, my co-author, actually through um, a mutual friend. She's the most amazing woman who's the chief exec of something called the Marketing Society. And we really have complementary skills and strengths. And I love collaboration. I'm a collaborator at heart. And it just felt absolutely the right time to join and write this book together because definitely it's better together. Uh, and that's where we started. There's so much that you said that is so rich. We are human beings and not human doings. I mean, this is so profound. I also like what you said about the need for people to develop a better relationship with their work. So let's take a deeper look into the book. Can you share some of the key themes that the book addresses? Absolutely. I'm a huge believer in simplicity. But in order to make things simple and simplify complexity, because work is such a big topic and there's so many angles that you could take, uh, it's obviously an iterative process. And out of that, what emerged was a, was a model. And uh, we call it the love work model. And it's based on three Ds. And they are discover, develop and deliver. So everything in the book is based on experience of working with my clients over the years in terms of helping them discover the work they love, develop the capability to do it, and then absolutely go after it and deliver that work and make that difference and contribution, uh, not only in their own organization, but in society as well. Our starting point is always helping individuals, teams, and organizations, you know, be very purpose-led. And the way that we help people do that on an individual level is to really reflect upon times when they've been most fulfilled, uh, sometimes described as being in flow, really energized and passionate. 
and then to understand why, what was going on, what what activities were were they engaged with, and why was that so meaningful for them, and then out of that, uh, it's a very reflective process. But then through a, a, a process of introspection or reflection to really reflect upon your own sense of why. I think once you have that in place, then you can lift up and you can look to the future. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Ben Ranshaw so far. I love the three Ds, discover, develop, and deliver. So simple and straight to the point. So let's move on with our conversation. There's so much more to learn about purpose and learning to love your work. And so I wanted to ask Ben about another big topic of his book that ties into all of this, the great resignation. According to the report by the U.S. Labor Department, 2.7% of U.S. workers left their jobs in April 2021. That's a sharp rise from 1.6% in April 2020. This is the highest spike in more than two decades. In the U.K. too, three out of five workers are considering a career change. And this is becoming a trend across the globe. So I asked Ben, what is his view on the great resignation and why he thinks people are resigning? Yeah, look, Wendy, it's a big topic. And the way that we're actually framing it is moving it from the great resignation to the great recovery. Now, I think we've got to be very clear here that we're obviously talking about a population of people who are extremely fortunate to be able to execute on choice. And, you know, I'm very, very cognizant and very mindful that, you know, still for many people in the world, work is absolute survival. It's day to day. I have huge compassion and empathy for those where work is absolute survival. I've been there. I know what that's like and what that takes. Now, if one is in a fortunate position through the global pandemic, I think what's happened is people have reevaluated. They've stopped the permanent busyness. They've started to question meaning, purpose. You know, what's the point? If I'm going to be spending my time and energy, I really want to be fulfilled. I want to be nourished. And of course, I think what's happened then is people, because they've been at home, for those of people with family, that's a very different experience than in terms of actually having time with their families. Uh, but also people finding that they can actually be very productive, if not more productive, you know, working in a virtual environment. So I think when you put that all together, uh, people then really questioning, well, why would I want to spend two to three hours commuting to this role that I don't really enjoy? I can be far more creative and productive, you know, from home. So I think you have that level, you know, then right the way through to those thinking, well, what really is my future trajectory? What's the meaning of what I do? What's the contribution I want to make? And therefore, how can I be in the best possible position to do that? People are going to really take much greater ownership, you know, of their careers, of their own development, what they want to do, where they want to go and how they're going to get there. Insightful indeed. I like that. Starting with the why. Because at some point in life, we all forget why we're doing what we're doing. I think it's crucial to reflect on your work and see how it aligns with your vision. Let's change the tune of the music and talk about what organizations can do to help manage this trend. Or as you've said, to move the trend from resignation to recovery. I would suggest it starts with the quality of line management. 
in all my experience of working in companies, you know, usually the primary factor as to why people disengage and why they start looking elsewhere is the quality of management. So I think on a very practical perspective, a time like this absolutely demands uh, line managers to really prioritize people. And yeah, I see again in a lot of companies, they pay lip service to the idea of putting people first. But, you know, an organization is made up of people. And, you know, you take people away and it doesn't matter how fantastic your brand, your processes, products, systems, etc. You're not going to be able to do anything with it. So I'll give you a practical example. I, I do a lot of work with our metro system in London, London Underground. And they're very purpose-led. The purpose is to keep London moving. You know, at, at its peak, it serves, you know, five to six million passengers a day. It, it's an extraordinary operation. Now, during COVID, they, they lost 80% of business and they've got very, very big fixed costs. So it's a hugely challenging environment. It, you know, you've got people right at the front line there, you know, putting their lives at risk, putting their health at risk in order to uh, support passengers and keep London moving. Um, so what we were able to do during that time was to really focus on, on bringing the team together and creating the conditions for them to remember their own sense of purpose and mission and why they do what they do, and then to provide the ongoing support. Now, they have a remarkable director who runs London Underground, and his brand, the way he positions his leadership is about humanity and just being human. And he really invested that humanity you know, during this time in extensive listening and checking in you know, with team members, really understanding people's personal lives and families and conditions and what they were faced with. So he could be very sensitized to that because, you know, people were experiencing family losses uh, through COVID. There was mental health issues, uh, dealing with children at home and homeschooling. I mean, the whole gamut of issues. Now, you're expecting people to, you know, to run a live service virtually 24-7 but you haven't got any appreciation or understanding of what's going on in their lives, you're going to be in trouble. So I think the big opportunity here is to rehumanize the workplace. You know, we're human beings. We're not machines. And yet most of the work environments in which I operate, people literally, they just transact. Another quick example, I work with an amazing law firm. And during the pandemic, I, I ran a program for them called Inspirational Leadership. But the way they showed up, they, you know, and these are some of the brightest people on the planet, but the way they showed up and the way they described their work was as the grind. Uh, you know, literally just the grind. And, you know, they're measured on busyness. I mean, they've got this you know, crazy system you've got to do, you know, basically deliver 100% busyness. You know, they're putting in their you know, 16, 18 hour days, they're totally on burnout and they're incredibly bright, well-intentioned person with great intent, but literally get taken over by the grind. So we have to, at this time, you know, rehumanize the workplace, put human beings first, help people remember why they do what they do, and then create a framework that really sets them up for success, that enables them to play to their strengths, to be energized, to have a sense of contribution and meaning in what they do. And it genuinely, if you're able to do that and build really strong partnerships and relationships along the way, you're in a great place. I love what Ben said there, that leadership is about humanity. 
That resonates so much with me. So as we're about to wrap up this conversation, I imagine many of our listeners are thinking right now, well, we've been talking a lot about purpose and this book is called Love Work. So how then can I learn to love my work? So I asked Ben to share the key things that can help us bring back the love of work. I think that firstly to recognize you're not alone. I think what what I notice again in this environment whether you have a sense of despair when you've or you've experienced loss or you're really struggling in your role or you feel very restricted due to finances or you're really afraid of making change to recognize you're not alone. And we're very pragmatic in the book that in in terms of the discovery of loving your work this does not mean quitting your job and you know going off and just i mean we had one example of somebody said oh well i'll just go and bake sourdough bread you know this isn't about just quitting and going baking bread no for me it's about really finding the smallest things each day the little things that if you add up over time are meaningful now that's very individual for everybody so for me as an example, it's about a big piece of that is conversation. You know, my, my work primarily is is facilitated through conversation. And, and I know that in every conversation I have, I can help somebody be in a better place. And that's nothing to do with time. It's nothing to do with money. It's absolutely to do with my intent that every conversation I'm going to help somebody be a better version of themselves. So I think step number one, you're not alone. Step number two then is to find every day one thing, one thing that can really help nudge and move you forward. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of James Clear and Atomic Habits, but I I love his methodology, which is simply just 1% better a day. And I'm a massive believer with, with your work, just find one thing a day because in a course of a year if you found one thing a day it's 365 improvements in a year i will absolutely guarantee that you will have a different experience of work as a consequence of that so that'd be step number two and then step number three is is i think with that to recognize to really recognize the contribution that you do make i would say probably the deepest human need is to be appreciated is to be valued and, you know, I still find it remarkable working in organizations that actually, if you ask most people what they really want, I mean, money's nice and fame and all of that. But what they really want is they just want to be recognized for the value and the contribution with a sincere thank you and appreciation. You know, that starts with yourself, the ability to really recognize and appreciate, you know, what you do, but absolutely to extend that to others and to start really recognizing and, and, and appreciating others for the contribution that they make this is juicy stuff i hope that everyone listening to this is as excited and refreshed as i am so let's close up our conversation with some predictions ben i'd love to hear your predictions about the future of work in the next five years so look i'm an optimist at heart but i'm also a pragmatist so i I kind of combine both of those so my first prediction is I I do believe that work will become a better place as a result of what we're experiencing today. And, and what I mean by that is I do think that 
people will, as a consequence of the trends that we're seeing, people will experience more flexibility. They will experience more of their needs being met. And ultimately, they'll also have more opportunity to, to really translate their own sense of purpose and make a difference. So I absolutely believe that work will be in a better place. Number two, I think my prediction is organizations will need to be structured differently. And the rigidity of the past is, is the past. It's history. Well, one of the people I, fantastic person I interviewed for the book is a gentleman called Errol Williams. He's based in, um, in Atlanta and he runs WeWork, uh, the company uh, on the East Coast of America. So he's very, very close to seeing kind of working trends. And what he believes is there'll be very much what's called a hub and spoke model, you know, where there will be still a hub, there will be a home for people to go to work, but there will be much more satellite activity. So the day of the, you know, the, the old commute, that will be history. And, and, and the organizations will need to have satellite spaces where people can come, they can collaborate, they can be creative, they can save time. So I think a hub and spoke model will be uh, the future of that. And I, and I think thirdly, on a more personal level for me, and, and this is kind of leans towards my own personal preference, um, I do think work will become more human. I think the age of just simply treating people as machines and being run by to-do list and just by putting in, you know, ridiculous hours and, and just driving people into the ground, uh, I, I genuinely don't think that's a sustainable model. And when we talk about sustainability, which is obviously one of the most topical areas at the moment, and rightly so with the environment, because, you know, if we don't invest in our future planet, uh, there will be much more serious uh, implications of what we have today. But I, I embrace sustainability in the broadest sense. And, and for me, that also includes people. So yes, planet, but also people. And we need to sustain people's health, their well-being, uh, their psychological safety, you know, all of it in order to genuinely have a better future. Let's watch the space. Those are the predictions from Ben around the future of work more flexibility and work becoming more human. Ben, if I may ask you just one last thing. In the book, there's what you call a love note. Would you please leave us with a love note as an inspiration to close the conversation? Wonderful. Thank you so much. So um, I will leave you with a few words. Um, every day, you have the opportunity to make work matter for you, for others, and for the world around you. What effect are you having? Choose what impact you want to have. Stretch your capacity and capability to do more. Do what matters most. Make work meaningful. Make memories you feel proud of. Make it your life's work. Thank you so much, Ben. It has been indeed an honor and a joy to have this conversation with you. Thank you. I genuinely appreciate your absolute sincerity and your humanity to the conversation. I hope everyone got a lot out of my conversation with author Ben Ranshaw. It's been insightful. It's been a pleasure. It's been reflective. And most importantly, it has moved me and reminded me of my why. If you like what you've heard and want to explore more, head over to coachhub.com to learn how we democratize coaching across all career levels. 
Thanks everyone for listening. Join me on our next episode as I speak with former Brigadier General, Tent Leadership Visionary, Thomas Kolditz. We'll discuss his research on what it takes to lead in crisis situations and talk about his work with the N and Dua Institute for New Leaders at Rice University, promoting effective leader development programs in the universities across the United States. From everyone at Coach Hub Studios, have a wonderful day. Happiness.